Welcome to the Empower From Within podcast presented to you by Trezal House. I'm your host, Jessica West, founder, author, speaker, and coach. Every week on the show, I share an inspiring interview with an incredible entrepreneur, author, healer, or change maker to tell their empowering story. At the end of each episode, I highlight the key self-empowerment takeaways to help you discover the limitless power you have within yourself to reach for your greatest desires and create the life that's truly worth living on your terms. I'm so happy to have you here with me today and together, let's go within. Hello and welcome back to the show. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Pat Wetzel. She's a podcaster, author, pilot, and photographer. Pat believes that adventure and moving past her comfort zone is what makes life worthwhile. She went from Wharton Business School to global finance, to having a disability, to learning to fly in sailplanes, to traveling the world, and beginning to explore her inner world. Through her own challenges, Pat saw how the power of sharing stories touches, teaches, and guides us. And so she decided to launch her own podcast called Bump in the Roads, where she interviews guests from all over the world to have them share their stories of courage, hope, and resilience, and have them explain how they navigated their own life's bumps and what they learned along the way. She included 15 of these stories in her new book, Bump in the Road, that is now available on Amazon. In today's conversation, Pat shares parts of her story with us, tips on how to navigate life's challenges, her book, and the power of meditation. And so without any further ado, let's welcome Pat Witzel. Hi, Pat, and welcome to the Empower From Within podcast. I'm really happy to have you here today. How are you doing for starters? Doing great. I've been looking forward to this. We had such a nice pre-qual chat before the podcast. Um, I've been looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. So have I. I mean, we have a lot to talk about and I'm really excited to get into it. But maybe beforehand, can you just tell everyone a little bit about your journey thus far and what really led you to releasing your book, Bump in the Road? (laughs) It's a very long story. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you the last part of the story that directly led to the podcast. Um, I'd gone through six years of cancer treatment and uh, I had was ready to launch an app that really dealt with a lot of the issues involving long-term disease and social dislocation. I had a tech team working on the technical part of it and I called them to see how things were going and they didn't respond and they didn't respond. Finally, I got some lawyers involved and it turns out they took all my intellectual property, registered it with the patent office as their own and essentially said, sue us. Well, my very expensive lawyers told me that a lawsuit would cost an increase increments of half a million dollars, take at least three years of my life, and there was no guaranteed outcome. Intellectual property theft is rampant. So I kind of digested that information. My hair was falling out from stress, not from chemo this time, and I'm vomiting blood. So I went to see my oncologist who was sure he could find 10 different things wrong with me, but he never asked what was going on in my life. And I left the office and I had just had it. I had so had it, six years of cancer. Um, you know, this, this type of fundamental betrayal that closed my business down. So I put my house up for sale. I put everything in storage and I hit the road. 
And that ultimately is what led to the podcast. At first, it led to um, a film project, Cancer Road Trip, which where we were going to give, it didn't come to fruition because of COVID, but the intent was to give seven people every quarter uh, a bucket list trip. The first trip was Tanzania. So think like Kilimanjaro and the metaphor of a mountain, safari and the metaphor of survival, um, ten, uh, um, Zanzibar and the spice of life. So we were looking at these stories against incredible backdrops. I'd lined up over a million dollars for the project. We were just about ready to launch and travel shut down. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, you can remember back to 2020, everything was so uncertain. Nobody knew what was going on. And after about a few weeks of eating potato chips in bed, um, the, you know, the ridged ones that are really good and salty, I realized this was not the solution to the issue. And I decided to start a podcast because I could travel virtually. And the idea of calling it Bump in the Road really just came to me uh, because I was really interested in how other people navigated life's bumps. What did they know that I didn't? What did they have that I didn't? Um, and I had done a reasonably good job navigating my bumps, but I was sure there was a greater collective wisdom out there. And that ultimately is what came out of the podcast and what evolved into the book. Uh, I'm going on to my fourth year of podcasting now, and the wisdom of the stories of my guests is breathtaking. It's unbelievable. And I saw that. I have a 30,000-foot view of the podcast because I talk to everybody. I can see the strengths, the weaknesses, the traits, and I can pull all that together in a way that an individual guest may not be able to. And the wisdom just absolutely drove me to do a book because I felt that it had to be shared in a, it had to be shared. It had to touch more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What a wild ride. Oh my goodness. So many things in there. And let's talk about in the book, these stories that people have shared, are there like, kind of like, what is the recipe that allowed people to navigate through those bumps in the roads? And like, can you tell us a little bit, like, is it divided kind of in sections of like, you need courage, you need resilience and kind of like, let me demonstrate through story how to apply that in your life? Or can you let us know a little bit more about that? Yeah, I took 15 stories um, and I looked at what the, some of the major themes were. Some were travel, uh, some were um, identity issues of identity, some were about courage. And each chapter is focused on that single issue. I tell the story of my guest and I also tell a story from my life that kind of parallels the main theme. Uh, and that way readers can get to know me a little bit. As I go on and I do other bump books, which are in the works, I'm not really planning to talk as much about my life, but I thought as an introduction, it was something you should know. And something you should know, I flew uh, high-performance sailplanes for 15 years. And there were many, many lessons learned in doing that. So though I tell flying stories as a backdrop to pieces of wisdom. Um, I really, in the book, I kind of distill it all down into five steps. These steps are not linear um, and they're, they're ongoing. Uh, I, I think every single one of my guests, one of their main strengths was the ability to pivot their perspective, you know, to tell their story through different lenses. You know, can you tell your story through gratitude, anger, connection, isolation? And the more you can have developed the intellectual ability to pivot, the less the less attached you get to your story and you realize it is just a story. And that gives you choice. How do you choose to see your story? What's important to you? 
So I think learning to pivot is really your perspective is incredibly important. It's a skill that will serve you for life. Um, I think every single one of my guests went on a search to find their authentic self. And to do that, they had to question their beliefs, which is a very difficult thing to do. Most people are not comfortable and will not make that step to actually question their beliefs because your beliefs define your world. I mean, if you take one of your beliefs out, your world crashes and then you have to remake everything. That's a difficult place to be, but I think it's a necessary place to some degree if you really want to find authenticity in this life. I think that um, one, uh, one of the chapters focuses on um, a gentleman who was a bond trader and he lived this wild bond trading life, right? Lots of um, drugs and alcohol, wild nights out on the town. And he had a nervous breakdown. He realized that he just couldn't continue in this life path. And he went on to discover meditation and it totally changed his life. He went from being the biggest party animal at the company to taking his clients out on surfing safaris and taking them to the opera and things like that. And his goal, um, he's now retired from bond trading. And his goal these days is to get 1 billion people to meditate. And I think the mind game is a really critical piece of putting together a coherent life. Um, and I, I personally have been meditating for about 15 years. And I have to say it is game changing. And there are a lot of different ways to meditate. People think it's hard. It does not have to be. You can find meditation in sound. You can find it in gardening. You can find it walking. The key is it allows you a period of clarity. It gives you a clear mind. And the reason I think that's so important is until you have peace in your mind, you really can't witness your thoughts. You know, you have your monkey mind just running on and running on. And until you know peace, you really don't have the perspective to see what is it that you're thinking? Where do these thoughts come from? What is your belief system? Is it real? And those are things you, you need to look at, I think, to, to put together a, co a coherent life. Um, I think in addition to the mind game, there everybody is unique. You need to find your unique purpose. But the way you're going to find your purpose is through all these steps, it's to look within. All the answers everybody's looking for are within. But as a society, we're conditioned to look outside of ourselves, to look for the perfect Instagram shot or, you know, the perfect life, the perfect car, the house, whatever. None of those things really will feed your soul. And the only way you will feed your soul is to go within and find your authenticity and your own path, which may be very different than what society thinks you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. I love everything that you said and my brain's turning thinking about so many things to ask you next, but let me see. Let's go back to perspective a little bit. I actually mm -hmm. heard of something really great this week that like everything, I mean, there are facts and then there are fiction and mm -hmm. you know, the fact would be something like, this is what I weigh. Now the fiction that we make up is saying like, I'm overweight or I'm fat, things like that. Like that's fiction. That is your perception of it. The fact is you weigh this much and in like maybe Western culture, like, I don't know, US, Canada, maybe it's considered overweight, but if you go somewhere else in other countries that is considered like, that is the ideal weight, like that's perfect. And so again, it's all perception. And you mentioned that um, when you started flying, that it helped change your pers pers perspective. And so can you share like, what was that like and how did it really help you shift your perspective and like, what was your before and after perspective? 
Well, I think there are a few pieces to that. Um, one, prior to flying, I had gone from very powerful um, finance jobs, international strategic planning, um, doing bond deals of billions of dollars and things like that, um, and became very sick, and I had to retire from that. So I kind of went from a real high to a real low. My ex-husband decided this was not the life for him. He left. So my life was not looking too terrific. Um, and I happened through a, a series of events to stumble into this really esoteric uh, sport called soaring. Now, sailplanes are, are magnificent planes. They're not like the glider rides you get at you know most airports or anything. You're talking about almost handcrafted 15 to 20 meter planes. Um, they're just beautiful. They glisten in the sun. They can go hundreds of miles without an engine. It's amazing. So the, the sport really becomes one of going long distances and going fast. And for fun, you can go high. Going over 30,000 feet is not that hard on a good day. So think about that. That's up where commercial airliners fly. Um, so going from that low to that high of, of flying was an, a massive shift in several regards. It was certainly a shift in terms of how I viewed myself and what my capabilities were because I'd gone from being so sick to being really disabled to all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I think it also is a really significant part of my own evolution because it put it put me very, very deeply in touch with, with nature, both the awe of nature, how incredible it is, and also in a very good way, it made me feel small. How could I, I am small against this amazing backdrop of the earth. And yet I had the incredible privilege of soaring down a mountain ridge at 200 miles an hour. It's incre just incredible. So um, I think that that shift, that was a very major shift. It showed me I had a lot of courage. It took a, an enormous amount of courage to get into that plane the first time. It's a single seat plane. It's high performance. No one can teach me to fly it. I simply had to do it. Without an engine, you have no second chance. You have to get it right. Um, I developed a great deal of confidence, which was just a wonderful anecdote to having gone through, having my confidence stripped away. And I always love a bit of adventure. So my, my plane's name was Whiskey Oscar. Those are our contest letters, actually. I wanted Whiskey Sierra, but Whiskey Sierra was taken. So I, I ended up getting Whiskey Oscar. And Whiskey Oscar and I went on many adventures together, one of which was going across the U.S., and that is how I came to move from the East Coast to the West. So through Whiskey Oscar, um, really there were a lot of pivotal moments in my life at that time in terms of regaining um, a sense of self, a sense of adventure, which is just critical to me, which had been missing for more than a decade, and um, a great deal of courage. Uh, I was very, I look back on that and I'm still amazed I had the guts to do what I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And I, I watched some videos of the the soaring, the gliding and going through the mountains, like yeah. it is incredibly breathtaking. And so I can understand that that is just such a feeling of wonder and definitely a perspective shift just to see like how massive the world is. And, and to be able to go and do that, like what a confirmation of your own personal capabilities and abilities but I'm, I'm sure, and like you shared, it didn't come easy. And it no. makes me think of building our will muscle. Like I think 
you know, I, I talk sometimes how we have like our mind has superpowers and I believe that will is one of them, which is our ability to kind of tune out what's going on around us and stay focused on where it is that we want to go. And when you were almost back to a dependent at that time, because of the disability that you were facing, that must've required a very strong will on your part to continue, you know, trucking forward towards this goal. So can you share a little bit like what was it that you were telling yourself or like, how did you get to strengthen that will for yourself? Actually, I think is a few pieces to that. I think one part of it was just curiosity. I was really curious and my curiosity led me to all these random points of information before they came together for me to decide for me to decide to learn to fly. And I think the other one, it, it didn't come from within in a way, it was just awe. The awe of it, the beauty, the magic of motorless flight was just so inspiring. Um, and I think that really maybe fed my will because you have to go through a lot of steps. You have to learn to fly you know, with an instructor. You have to solo, you have to get your license. Then if you start getting into higher performance planes, there's a massive learning curve um, that goes with that. So I think, I think really my will just came from desire and and beauty the the beauty of flying like that it was just tremendously inspiring there's one story i love to tell about what it's like to fly i was um over lake tahoe one day 16 17000 feet you know and tahoe's beautiful you have those turquoise emerald waters underneath you um beautiful sunny day just the sun streaming through the canopy and at the end of my wings were little winglets, about eight or 10, maybe 10 inches or so. And I turned the plane and my left winglet balanced on a bubble of rising air. And I balanced the entire 15 meters of, of, of the plane on that bubble of air and I rose up through the sky. Water below, sun streaming through the canopy. It was a moment of eternity. It was a moment beyond this world. And that experience has stuck with me for years. It was just a confluence of energy, of sun, of beauty, of time all together. And I think those sorts of um, breathless you know, moments that you find in sports, any kind of sport, really keep you going. And I think that they provide just an amazing metaphor for, for life, for, for spirituality, for a greater existence and also keeping you in your place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Humility. Sporing, sporing definitely fosters humility. Yeah. I'm wondering, this is a little like off topic from kind of the mm -hmm. inner work here, but I'm just curious about like the plane. Like, how do you go about flying that? Because I've been watching some videos and I see like people go down, but then you can go up. Like, and it's, there's no motor. Like, how does that even work? <laughs> <laughs> Two things. It's energy management for one thing. So if you're coming down at a rapid rate, you have a lot of energy so you can pull up. We used to, um, this is terrible. We used to wait for like a 172, which is a small plane that a lot of people fly. We'd wait to see one going through the sky and we'd get a little altitude and we'd come down with all that energy, come alongside the plane at a, at a safe distance, wave and then pull and go up. And the pilots would freak out because they had no idea of what energy management was about. So there's there's an energy management aspect of it. And then there's the energy in the sky. You know, are you in rising air? Are you in sinking air? Are you in a convergence zone? There are all sorts of different ways to find lift in the air. 
So the combination of those two things really determines your path. And the idea is to get enough altitude to cruise for a long distance um, and then look for lift again, cruise for a long distance and meet, you know, go where you want to go. Mm-hmm. That's so incredible. Wow. And I do see how like doing a sport can really connect you with more of like the essence of who you are, because then it really allows you to become aware of like, you know, the energy. And I mean, we hear all the time, everything is energy, but sometimes we don't actually like really understand it unless we're like experiencing something. And so to be in a plane and actually be like using the energy to be able to really stay in the air and go up and down, like that's incredible. And so it does provide sort of like a, almost like a spiritual awareness or like that there's more than meets the eye to life, basically. It's a, it's a metaphor for so many things. It's a metaphor for getting out of your comfort zone because these forces of the earth are far greater than you. Um, it's a metaphor for navigating life. I mean, we, we take off on this adventure called life and we really don't know how to navigate it. We look for invisible sources of lift. We hit, we hit periods where the air just goes down. You know, we have to figure out how to get out of it. Um, I, I think that most sports provide good metaphors for life. And I find the energetic metaphor of soaring to, to really hit home, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any like piece of advice for someone who might be right at the edge of their comfort zone? Like what kind of advice do you have for them to just like, yes, take that leap of faith oh. in yourself? Go for it. Go for it. You know, I mean, don't do something stupid. Don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute, obviously, Mm. but get out of your comfort zone. That's where life happens. That's where creativity happens. It will not happen when you're settling for the status quo. One of the gentlemen I interviewed, um, Eric Weinmayer, he's a world-renowned mountain climber. He went blind at 16, and yet he went on to climb Everest, blind, the seven summits, And he spent eight years working to uh, navigate the Colorado River Rapids. Um, Eric tells a story. This is his story. And I just think it's so powerful. He divides the world into three groups. And the groups are fluid. We all move between all the different groups. One group are quitters. They're self-evident. The vast majority of people are campers. They want to stay with the status quo. They want to stay in their comfort zone. Now, in all fairness to campers, they may have just been beaten down by life and they just don't put their head up anymore. And then very few people are climbers. But the climber, and climbers can be campers. You can sit on the couch and eat ice cream. You know, you can't be a climber 24 hours a day. But climbers have an intrinsic curiosity or drive that keeps them out of their comfort zone, keeps them exploring and keeps them evolving. And you can apply it to anything. But I think that once you have the experience of being a climber, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And I take that too, like when I look at, you know, personal development or getting to know yourself more at a deeper level, it almost becomes like, there's no turning back at that point. You have to keep going. There comes a point where you're like, I know too much about myself and my capabilities, like I cannot turn back now. And so it just continues to kind of fuel you forward. Let's go back to when you were talking about um, when you first started meditation, because again, Mm -hmm. you talked a lot about like, you know, it it helps you be calm and be aware of your thoughts. It's a great place to start with self-awareness. 
How did you get into starting meditation? <laughs> oh gosh, another story. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was going through cancer treatments, and um, my next door neighbors—I refer to them as the neighbors from hell—decided to put a nine thousand square foot house almost on the property line. So I'm dealing with a cancer reoccurrence, possibly going through a transplant, life and death, sick as a dog, and there's this construction project right on the property line. So I had to relandscape my entire yard to just blot them out. And oh, it was beautiful. I put in a patio, an outdoor fireplace, you know, uh, garden, etc. But while all this was going on, it was just, as you can imagine, a mess. And I went out into the backyard uh, one night and they'd moved into the house, the house had finished, and they were playing their stereo so loud. And this became an ongoing thing. It was a very strange set of circumstances. They went from quiet to just outrageous from almost broke to hundreds of thousands of dollars of cars in the driveway. I mean, something, I don't know what, but something was going on. At any rate, I went into my backyard, which is all dug up as I'm trying to re-landscape things. And the booming of their stereo just came through, just boom, boom, boom. The, the windows in my house would flex in and out with the power wow. of the music. It was horrible. It was unlivable. And I stood there and I looked up in the, in the sky and I looked at the stars and I just screamed. I just screamed and screamed and screamed. And nobody could hear me over the boom, boom, boom of the stereo. Well, a few days later, I found out about a meditation class at the local museum. And it was a sampler class where every week we did a different type of meditation. So it was a great introduction. And the gentleman who uh, taught it actually studied with the Maharishi in Europe. And he taught transcendental meditation. So between the boom, boom, boom next door and the cancer and everything else, I was like, okay, I'll try it. I need, I need something. <laughs> so I committed myself to two 20-minute periods a day of meditation, no matter what. And I did not vary from that at all. I did it. I meditated in the morning. I meditated late afternoon, every single day. And it was an unexpected introduction really into just an incredible practice. Meditation has a few different pieces of it. One, it's a practice and it creates a place in your mind where there is peace. And that alone is very alluring and can keep you coming back. Now, every meditation is not perfect. Every meditation isn't mind blowing, but generally as you get better at it, you drop into a deeper state of peace more and more quickly. The other thing meditation does is it sets a habit and that habit builds a mental muscle. And you get to take that muscle everywhere with you. It, it develops um, a, a great deal of, um, uh, not routine, but um, discipline, self-discipline. Because what, if you ever, if you find your mind just running on, you know you can quiet it and you know you can stop and witness those thoughts. And finally, meditation is experiential, and that's where it really changes your life. You, you experience this meditative state. You experience this incredible peace. You may experience incredible joy. And that in itself is life-changing. Yeah, for sure. I do feel like a lot of us as a whole, like we lack the self-discipline aspect, and it's very difficult to keep up doing something. I mean, maybe it's also like a culture of um, instant gratification where we really have yeah. to wait for something. We lack the discipline to be able to do that. That's when I find the will muscle then becomes really important because you can use that will 
to keep yourself disciplined and keep yourself focused on that end. Absolutely. And I think sometimes for better, for worse, we humans have to hit a point of just no return before we can focus our will on what we, what would really benefit us. Um, I, I have to say, I don't know if I would have gotten into meditation if thing, if life had not conspired to you know, bring these factors together, but I am very, very grateful. It is probably one of the most powerful influences in my life because once you find that peace and you know it exists, you can access it. You take it with you wherever you go. So all of a sudden you're driving down the road and somebody in front of you does something stupid. You don't get angry. You can just, you can just let it go. It really revolutionizes your life. And I think it revolutionizes your ability to your ability for um, self-evolution, because all of a sudden now you can really look within, you can really look at your belief system and start to question, gee, is that really the way I want to behave or, or respond? And why do I do it? Whereas I think it's very hard to see that if you don't have some sort of contrast. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us a little more about like transcendental meditation and like, how does that differ from like regular meditation? Well, there are a million different types of meditation. Uh, there's no no religious content context to any of it. It's um, really a matter of just wanting to clear your mind. Like you could find meditation in sound. Maybe some people find that with music, their mind clears. That's a meditation. What if um, you like to stare at a um, a candle? What if you follow your breath? The thing that transcendental meditation does is it gives you a mantra, and you follow the mantra. And, you know, I can do it with breath. I can do it with a mantra. I'm, I'm so used to doing it with a mantra. That's, that's generally the way I meditate. But it doesn't matter what you use to bring your attention back to the, to the moment. My meditation teacher used to say, you know, you're, going, you're in meditation. Your mind's quiet. It's wonderful. And all of a sudden, your shopping list appears. Broccoli, broccoli, broccoli. And you, what you have to do is forget about the broccoli. Just bring your attention back to the here and now. And it's a muscle that you practice and you bring your attention back and your mind floats off and you bring it back. And the more you do it, the better you get at doing that. It, it's not perfect. There's no perfection here, which is why they call it a practice. It is truly a practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because I feel like a lot of people who might be beginner into meditation, they have such a hard time being able to shut off their minds because Traditionally, a lot of us think that it's just like, close your eyes, sit cross-legged, put your fingers, you know, your <laughs> index and your thumbs together and, you know, just try and silence that. But that's difficult. But if you can, you know, do mantras or listen to different sounds, like, and it really, the fact that there's so many things out there, it's really find something that works well for you and be willing to try different things. And if something doesn't sit well, then try something else. There is a brilliant book by a guy named Victor Davich, D-A-V-I-C-H. It's called Eight Minute Meditation. And what he does is he asks for eight minutes of your day, okay? And every week he gives you a new type of meditation to try. And he just asks that you do it for eight minutes. I think the book is brilliant because it's doing two things. It's introducing you to lots of different ways to meditate and it's establishing a habit. So at the end of a month, you now have developed a habit that if you've found a meditation um, type that works for you, you're on your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. That's amazing. Thank you for mentioning that. So now that we're talking about books, 
Can you tell us more about your book? Let's get more into it. Now, it started off as a podcast and you mm-hmm. are interviewing people and they're sharing incredible stories. And so I know that stories are important to you as they are for me. That is why I like sharing stories on my podcast as well. But can you elaborate? Like, why do you believe that stories are so important? Because they emotionally engage us. They make us feel. And that's experiential. Wisdom comes from 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 experience. You can't read about wisdom. You have to feel it. And I think that when, as you get emotionally involved in stories, you can have, you know, um, awe, empathy, all these emotions that come out, that makes the story real. And that allows you to absorb the part of the story that is most useful or meaningful to you. Yeah, I love, love, love that. And I feel like it's a lot of information nowadays is coming out and I'm, and I'm going to talk about it more in the context of like manifestation, what you want, but it, it's not your thoughts, it's the feeling. And so it's yes. really, we want to transmute that thought and the feeling. Cause if you just think, 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 and you know, read other people's stories and kind of feel blank because you don't relate, nothing is going to come from that idle thought, but it needs to be transmuted into a feeling. And then that feeling helps move you into action and to make better choices for your life. So beautiful explanation. Thinking is energy, but emotion is a much more powerful energy. And heart math has done a lot of research, you know, on the power of the heart. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but the um, magnetic field from your heart actually extends way beyond your body. It's very powerful. And when you use your heart as opposed to your mind, you're really releasing an enormous amount of emotional energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've, you've felt that when you get in a conversation with somebody and the energy is flowing really well, that energy perspective, I think is very real. Gary Zukov in his books really looked at the world from a perspective of energy. And I think it's, um, I think it's a very powerful way to look at interactions, particularly human inter- interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so the stories in your book, are they stories that have also been shared on your podcast or did you go on like a separate kind of interview process for the stories that are shared in your book? They're all from my podcast. Um, They are edited down a great deal, but I have an internet portal for everybody who buys the book where you can listen to the entire unedited podcast. If you'd like, there are videos, um, behind the scenes conversations and things like that. And there's also a workbook to help you kind of work through some of the different, you know, tenets that come out of the book, you know, things like uh, pivoting your perspective, finding your authentic self, so that in addition to these incredible stories, I hope this provides a bit of a roadmap for people to look within. Yeah, I love that. So is the workbook, like, are the questions within the book itself, or is it just the separate workbook? It's the separate online workbook. Okay, okay. Oh, very cool. I love it. Yeah, it's a total journey for people. That's just incredible. And so they can find all of that on the website. Well, actually, you'll find um, the link to the portal in the book. Um, It's available to people who buy the book. Uh, But certainly you'll find all the conversations on the website. Um, Some of the conversations are for subscribers only, but uh, you will find at least part of every conversation on the website. Great. Okay. And Pat, can you tell everyone where they can get their hands on a copy of the book? Amazon, of course. Bump in the road um, on Amazon. Excellent. Okay, amazing. Well, Pat, it was so great having you here today. And I'm wondering, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience before 
we say goodbye today. Be brave, have courage, get outside your comfort zone. That's where life starts. And it's such a wonderful adventure. I've come to see life as a road trip. You know, it has twists and turns and ups and downs and enjoy every single one of them because every one of them will be for your benefit. Yeah, absolutely. That is a powerful takeaway. Thank you for sharing. And, and can you let the audience know where they can find you if they want to know more? Bumpintheroad.us. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Pat. This is really such a great conversation. Thank you. This was great. What a fantastic conversation. Pat is so wonderful. I've included the link to her book in the show notes of this episode. So be sure to take a look if you're interested. Here are today's self-empowerment takeaways. One, when facing a challenge, try pivoting your perspective. See if you can look at the situation from a different point of view or tell your story in a different lens. Two, all the answers are within you. And so find some quiet time in meditation to be able to listen to your inner wisdom. Three, with a strong enough desire, you can overcome anything. Four, allow yourself to be curious about life and be guided by that curiosity. Five, sometimes the bumps in the road can be blessings in disguise that send us on an amazing journey that we wouldn't have otherwise been on. As always, I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from today's episode. And so please go ahead and leave a rating and review on the podcast platform that you're listening to right now. If you're listening to this episode on Spotify, I asked a question within the episode page itself. I asked, what is your biggest takeaway from this episode? If you answer it, I will give you a shout out on next week's episode. And so please go ahead and answer that question if you feel called. And if you're watching the video on our YouTube channel, please go ahead and leave a comment of your biggest takeaway. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Enjoy the rest of your week. And until next time, stay empowered. Thanks for being here. I hope you got just as much value out of today's episode as I did. If you feel called, please leave a rating and review of this podcast and share this episode with someone who you feel would benefit from the conversation we had. It's going to help us reach more people. And this is just one way that we can all help empower each other from the inside out.